We are we have been talking about boundaries. And um really I think the Lord's just really preaching it to me. I I have just been there all week. It seems like every conversation I have leads me back to this message uh, on boundaries and um I'm just going to say it again in the physical world it's easy to see the boundaries it's easy to see fence rows and hedges and um, I can tell where my yard starts and where my neighbor's yard begins um, but even in the spiritual world there are boundaries in our relationships there are boundaries there are boundaries that should be in place and if you remember our boundaries are there not to keep not, they're not walls. They're not to block people, but it is to allow our, our boundaries need to have gates that will open to good and be closed for the bad. Keep the bad on the outside, let the good in. And uh, we have been talking um, about what are my boundaries? What is within my boundaries? What should I be looking for? Um, where do I begin and where does someone else start? And these uh, boundary markers we talked the last two weeks on were feelings, how our feelings are part of our boundaries, our attitudes and our beliefs, our behaviors, our choices, our values, and our limits. That's where I left off last week. Now, tonight, um, this one's going to take a little bit of a turn because I don't know that I'd ever seen this. And, and I'm going to show you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish in a, in a couple weeks. We're going to talk about boundary problems starting next week. And then I'm going to stop. And that will be the first three chapters of a book called Boundaries where I have, have been kind of drawing this out of. And I'm going to show you the book. And if the Lord's been speaking to you or has been ministering to you about people that are overstepping your boundaries or how maybe you're overstepping their boundaries... Um, how we have some inappropriate boundary issues within our relationships, which I know we all do, then I encourage you, finish the book. I can't, I can't preach to you the whole book. I'm not called to give you the whole thing. I'm called to get you stirred and get you digging. If you seek, you will find. Do you hear me? If you will ask, he will answer. That's our part. I don't do that part for you. So I have just been, I feel like the Lord had, had led me here to preach on this, but it's, I, it's not my job to, to do it for you. You've got to dig. And if it's kind of speaking to you, then there's a book called Boundaries. I believe we sell it in what used to be our bookstore, but now it's our closet. Uh, since we built the new building, we lost our books, bookstore. Um, but we're working on uh, getting it back going. But Proverbs 4, chapter, uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 is the heart of this message. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. We talked Sunday morning about forgiveness. And forgiveness does not mean we allow people to continue to hurt us. It does not mean that we continue to allow people to hurt our heart. It means we decide to not hold that debt against someone any longer. If you've ever finished paying your debts on your car, you know the bank can never come back and take that car back? Never. Yeah, but you had a loan with us for years. I think we'll just go take that car back. No, I settled my debts. It's done. Same thing with forgiveness. Even though you may have some battle wounds and you may have some scars that remind you, when you forgive, you cancel that debt. Doesn't mean you go set yourself up to let them hurt you again. Guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. So tonight, as we continue with what's within my boundaries, 
we're going to talk about the parable of the talents. And I want you to catch Matthew chapter 25. Uh, Maybe you know this story, maybe you don't. Um, If you don't, there were three men, the master gave each one of them a different portion of talents, or it was in that story, cash, money to be invested. One got five talents, one got two talents, one got one talent. And the master said, go forth and multiply. Go, go to work. I've given you resources, now go to work. Master leaves, comes back months later and says, okay, what have you done? The guy with the five says, master, I've taken your five and I've made five. Master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Continue to take this 10 and continue to go on. The two said, Master, I took your two and I've made four. I've made two more. I've got four. Way to go. Good job. The one with the one says, I know you to be a hard man, Master. I know that you do not, uh, you don't harvest from, uh, you harvest from other people's crops. I don't remember exactly how that goes. Please don't, don't hold me to this because I'm going to just paraphrase it terribly. But I know that you uh, are a harsh businessman. So, I buried it. I still just have the one. Now look what it says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. His master replied, this is to the good ones. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. (laughs) I love that. But then look what he says to the other guy. But the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I haven't sown. And gather where I've not scattered seed, so you ought to have at least deposited my money with the bankers. And then I would have come back and received back my own with interest. Therefore, take this talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. Now, we've all heard this preached on so many different levels, prosperity message, tithing and giving and uh, God multiplying your finances. But I, I believe that when it comes to these boundaries, I believe that this is a very good illustrated um, picture, uh, uh, an illustration of how God ordains our responsibility for ownership and the use of our talents. And even though in this scripture it's talking about money, I believe it also applies to our internal talents and our abilities. I read a talent, I see it as a talent. You have a talent for something. God has gifted you to be good at something. You may not know it. You may not believe it. That doesn't matter. He has. He has gifted you to be great at something. We're going to call it a talent. But our talents are clearly within our boundaries and are our responsibility. My talent is my responsibility. But taking ownership of our talents is sometimes frightening and risky. Well, they're getting after it in there, aren't they? They are doing egg Russian roulette tonight where there's going to be 12 eggs and four of them are uh, raw, eight of them are hard-boiled and cracking them over their heads. And Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. Last week they did human hungry hippo. <laughs> they're, uh, they're really having a good time in there. But this parable of the talent says that we are accountable, not to mention much happier when we are exercising our gifts and being productive. But with our talents, it takes work. 
It takes practice. It takes learning. It takes prayer. It takes resources. It takes grace to overcome the fear of failure and to not fall into that wicked and lazy attitude that this servant gave into. I want you to think about talents and how it can be a separating factor, whether it's positive or negative. Just think about your education. Those, those that went on and got a college education had, have now separated themselves from a, a pretty good number of people. Those that go on and get their masters have now separated themselves from even a, a more, uh, into a more elite number of people. Those that have gone on and got their doctorate are in a very small uh, percentage. Do you see that? And, and each one is a, a potential barrier or a boundary. Do you, do you kind of follow that just in your education? In your skill and in your job, as you do well working in your job, you begin to get promoted, and it can sometimes set up boundaries so much so that you are not even able to talk to the people that are on the line anymore because you and your talent has removed you from that and put you here. Can anybody follow that? How your ability does sometimes separate you or creates some space. And that's appropriate. That's appropriate. I want you to see this. The thing that spoke to me the most about this message and how it applies to boundaries is the master did not get on to him for being afraid. The master got on to him for not using his talent. Do you follow that? He was not chastised for being afraid. And how many of you know that whenever you step out and try, it's risky and it's scary? It's hard. Any of you ever had to do something new? And usually you don't like it. Usually your first reaction, especially when it comes to computer stuff, I hate this. Can we please go back to the other thing we were using? I can't tell you how many times, like, with myself or with others, it's hard to make that jump from this system to that system. I mean, all we got to do is take up the offering different, and people say, I liked the old system. Uh, I stepped on some toes right there, didn't I? Because we just changed the offering. I didn't understand that. I don't think I want to hear that, Debbie. I'm kidding. Uh, but change is hard. Change is hard, and especially when you're really kind of sticking yourself out there to say, hey, job, I'm good at this. Can I try this? And you're thinking, oh, no, what have I just done? But it's an opportunity. The guy did not get chastised for being afraid. He was chastised because he didn't confront his fear and do the best that he could. All the master was asking is take what I've given you and do the best you can. Give it your best effort. When we don't confront our fear, do you know it denies the grace of God? And it insults both his giving of the gift and his grace to sustain us as we're learning. Do you follow that? It's like we're just saying, God, I know you gave me this, but I'm really not going to be good at it, and I'm just not going to try it. And it removes God's ability to move in your life. How can I lead your steps if you won't take one? He will lead us and guide us into all truth, but he won't take the step for us. 
How many of you know you can have a guide, but you could not follow him? You've got to follow. God gives you something, and let me tell you, you get around people, especially you get around God's people, and what's going to happen is someone's going to say, hey, I think you're good at this. Why? Because I can see it. Well, I don't see it. Well, that's obvious. How many of you have been good at something and you didn't know it until someone said, hey, I think you have a gift? And then you start thinking about it and thinking, well, yeah, I do kind of think like that. And then the Lord starts giving you opportunities to try something. And we're scared to death. And the Lord's just saying, just try. I'm with you. And to this servant with the one, the Lord would say, here, I'm giving you this. Just try. Just try. I wouldn't have given it to you if you weren't going to be successful with it. I didn't give it to you knowing you were going to fail. I gave it to you knowing you were well-equipped to succeed. But you've got to try. You guys follow me? Okay, so let's move on from talents to thoughts. Our minds and our thoughts are important reflections of the image of God. Do you know that no creature on earth has our thinking ability? None other. We're the only creatures who were called to love the Lord thy God with our mind. That's an amazing word. And Paul wrote that he was taking every thought captive to make it obedient, obedient to Christ. You have torturing thoughts. I want you to know that you have the authority to take, to take them captive. Your thoughts have you captive. I'm sorry, the cart's before the horse. You should take those thoughts captive. Not your captives, not your thoughts have you captive. Do you know most people live captivated by what's going on in their mind? And the scripture shows us just the opposite. I have the ability to take every thought captive. Those, those thoughts that want to lead you into sin, I have authority over them. I don't have authority over your thoughts. You have authority over your thoughts. Your spouse doesn't have authority over your thoughts. You have authority over your thoughts. If I lock eyes with anybody, it's not because I think you've got a thinking problem. I'm, I'm, it happens every time I'm talking about sin and I look at somebody eye to eye and I'm like, I'm not talking, I don't, I don't, not, don't mean you're having a problem. Or maybe you are. <laughs> Let God deal with you. <laughs> oh, establishing our boundaries in thinking involve at least three things. We've got to own our thoughts. You got to own them. So many people do not take ownership of their own thinking processes. They are mechanically thinking the thoughts of others without examining them at all. How many of you have done stuff the way your parents did it and you never questioned it? Someone questions you and like, I don't know, it's just the way I've always done it. And you just keep on doing it. It is hard to stop your, your habit and think about why am I doing it that way. You remember the whole thing that I taught on habits? You don't even realize that you're tying your left shoe first. I'm not asking you to think about that. That's not something you really need to sit there and ponder over. Why am I tying my left shoe first? But we do things out of habit without 
understanding why am I doing it this way. Anybody ever have your spouse say something to you and you overreact every single time? Have you ever thought about it? Why am I overreacting? Why am I snapping back with that? Let me tell you, you can deal with an anger problem if you'll think about why you're saying what you're saying. We, when, when we don't take our thoughts, uh, when we don't own our own thoughts, these thoughts will swallow us, swallow our opinions and our reasoning, and we never question them, and we never think about our thinking. We've got to listen to the thoughts of others and weigh them, but we should never give someone else our mind give our mind over to someone else, we are to weigh things for ourselves in the context of a relationship, sharpening each other, but being separate thinkers. I know so many that aren't thinking for themselves. Can anybody say, I know somebody like that? Not thinking for themselves. So we've got to own our own thoughts, number two, We've got to grow in our knowledge and expand our minds. We've got to grow in our knowledge and expand our minds. We need to be learning. We need to be studying because some of the things that we think we know are wrong. Anybody here ever been proven wrong? Anybody here ever continually get proven wrong, but you don't accept it, and you keep doing it? I'm sorry, pardon my French, but that's stupid. If you know it's wrong, but you keep doing it, listen, I've done it. I know this is bad, but I'm going to keep doing it. One area we've got to grow is in the knowledge of God and his word. When you really get to know God, you know who you really get to know? Is you. Who you really are. And you know the word of God says you're beautifully and wonderfully made. And we believe a lie that we are not. When you get to know God, you get to know you. It says in, uh, where am I? Let's go to Psalm 119. It says, my soul is consumed with a longing for your laws at all times. In verse 24, it says, your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. You see that the psalmist here Desired to learn. My soul is consumed with a longing for your laws. We've got to grow in our knowledge. If you're not reading, you are falling behind. If you're not learning, you're falling behind. We should always be learning. We should always be growing do you know well, there's no sitting on the fence? Either you're going forward or you're going backwards. Third, we've got a clarified, distorted thinking. We all have a tendency to not see things clearly and to think and perceive in distorted ways. And one of the easiest ways that you can see this is in our personal relationships. Do you know I have perceptions about you? 
that are wrong? Do you know I have perceptions about my wife, whom I know better than I know anyone else, that are wrong? My wife will say something, and I will perceive it to mean the opposite of the way she meant it and know that to be true and want to have a moment where I say, get behind me, Satan, like Jesus said to Peter. But I'm perceiving her wrong. We so have a tendency of thinking we see it right when we see it wrong. So as we take this step of clarifying our distorted thinking, the first step is to recognize we may be thinking wrong. But instead, we're so hard-hearted or we're so stubborn. My mom once used the term uh, obstinate. I had to go look it up. This was years ago. But she told me I was obstinate. And I just did not receive that at all. She was right. I can be stubborn. I can be stubborn in my opinions. I can be stubborn in my beliefs. I mean, it's what I believe. I'm not going to be shaken from that easy. But I need to recognize that I could know something that is wrong. Anybody here ever lived their life believing a lie? I've done that. We need truth. And the truth will set you free. Sometimes the truth hurts, but it will set you free. And even though it may hurt for a moment, God will restore that hurt with truth. Truth won't waver. We don't see clearly because we have logs in our own eyes. We are so quick to pick out the speck in each other. But the problem is the log. Taking ownership of our thinking in relationships requires being active in checking out where we may be wrong. As we begin to dig and learn and assimilate new information, our thinking adapts and grows closer to reality. We also need to make sure that we are communicating our thoughts to others. Unfortunately, we think that people should be able to read our minds. We wind up with frustration, living in frustration. But it says, even Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except, except the spirit within him? As much as my wife would like me to be able to read her mind, I rarely get that one right. I have to be told clearly or I miss it. God, I'm the same way with the Lord. Lord, you got to tell me clear. Because if you don't, I'm probably going to miss it. And even my wife can tell me and I can miss it. Sue me. Sometimes we just miss it. Sometimes we're not listening. I read a book that talked about seek first to understand, then be understood. And listening and understanding are two different things. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Unfortunately, we put that in reverse. We want to be understood first, and then the understanding never comes. 
we get what we're looking for and we move on and never stop to hear what the other issue is. But seeking first to understand. But if we want people to know our thoughts, we've got to tell them. If married couples could learn to clearly communicate, even if your communication is tough, even if the things that you're communicating is tough, it will get easier. If you're on the same page and your heart's toward each other and toward the Lord, you may have some tough things to start with. Let me tell you, we, Elizabeth and I have been married, it'll be 24 years this year, and it wasn't until about the last uh, five years that we really started communicating. And I want you to know my wife's a great communicator. I just wasn't. And uh, when it hurt at first. It was difficult at first. But the more we communicated, the closer we got. The more you communicate with the Lord and listen to his communication, the closer you're going to get. What's going to happen is the closer your desires are going to get to his desires. It's an amazing thing when we draw close to one another. That's funny. My next topic is desires. <laughs> Forgot. <laughs> our desires lie within our boundaries, and each of us have different desires and wants and dreams and wishes and goals and plans and hungers and thirst. We all want to satisfy me. Down deep, we're, we're kind of selfish creatures, but what's funny is there's so un, many unsatisfied people in the world. And part of the problem is a lack of structured boundaries within our personality. We can't define who the real me is and what we truly desire. Because many people desire, uh, ma uh, many desire a masquerade as the real thing. The lusts that we have uh, come out of not owning our real desires. For instance, sex addicts think they're desiring a sexual experience, but what they're down deep desiring is love and affection. You may say, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No, it's not. This thing has masqueraded themselves. Their desire has gotten masqueraded into a lie. Satan takes something that's good and perverts it. Sex is not bad. A sexual desire is not bad. But Satan has masqueraded it into something perverted. And you go back to the, the root, if you'll get back to the root, you'll find out how you were created and why you were created that way. And you were crea created to desire love and affection. We were created to be loved and to love. Do you follow that? James talks about this, about not owning and seeking our real desires with pure motives. In James chapter 4, it says you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covered, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, you do not have, because you do not ask God. When you ask, you don't receive, because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I love the scripture. You guys need to hear this, because so many times people quote, if you'll ask, you'll get. Uh, no, that's not really what the scripture says. It says if you ask according to God's will, as you get to know God and you become close to God and he becomes close to you, you will get to a point where you don't have a problem asking according to God's will because his desires become your desires. You start to get on the same page and when you're on the same page and you ask according to God's will, 
He does it. And what's so awesome is his will's better than yours. Go out and get your last will and testament and compare it to God's. His is better. His personal will for me is so better than any will I could ever draw up or think up. It's more than I could ever think or even comprehend. But you can see sometimes we ask inappropriately because our desires are off. We seek our desires from God, and those desires get mixed up with things that we don't really need. But you know, God is truly interested in our desires. He made them. Look at this in Psalm chapter 21. I'll stop. I'm out of time. It says, You have granted him the desire of his heart and have not withheld the request of his lips. You welcomed him with rich blessing and placed a crown of pure gold on his head. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you catch that? Him giving you the desires of your heart, you've got to back up. It says, if you'll delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. God loves to give gifts to his children, but I want you to know God is a wise Daddy, if he sees that what we're asking for would hurt us, if your child is asking for something that would hurt them, would you give it to them? No. Father God is the same way. He is such a good God that he will say no when no helps us. Unfortunately, today we've got parents that don't know how to say no. And they don't know how to say yes at the right time. That's what boundaries are all about. Saying no when it's time to say no and saying yes when it's time to say yes. To know what to ask for, we have to be in touch of who we really are and who God really is. I'll stop there. I've only got one more, and it's love. But love's a biggie. 